Thank you for listening to Devoted. We meet every week on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to dive into the Word. Um, at some point during this message, Sergio is going to come down and pass out the elements for communion. We're going to have that right at the end of the message. So if he gives you that, just hold on to it. Make sure you don't spill it. Uh, Mark did a tremendous job filling, filling the cups up but nice and level, so be careful you don't spill. But if you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Colossians chapter 3. It's kind of where the Lord led me tonight. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I know you guys are getting worried, thinking, man, it's getting kind of late. Joe really likes to talk. So I'm going to limit this to one verse. So hopefully we're not here too late. But I've entitled this message, or kind of what I want to talk to us about is perspective. And so the title of this message is A Holy Perspective. And I want to talk about the perspective that God wants us to have here in this world. In Colossians 3, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on your earth or on the earth. And so perspective is exactly what Paul is encouraging the church in Colossae to have. Paul wants them to see things from a heavenly perspective. He wants them to see them the way that God does. He wants to see it uh, from an eternal perspective, not from the mere perspective of man, not from the perspective of walking through this world like all of us have. He wants us to see it uh, from above. Webster's Dictionary defines perspective as this, the capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. And so Paul wants us to see things as they really are. We walk through this life, and the natural man, the person who isn't saved, and even Christians at times, we don't really see things as they are because we're not interpreting it through the Holy Spirit, through the lens of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, so we're not seeing things the way that God wants us to see it. To do that, we need to have spiritual uh, inspiration and illumination and, and we need the word of God and then we can see things the way that God designed them to be and, and see it from the perspective of God and what God is doing. You know the other day I was watching the news probably a week or two ago and there was this uh, huge brawl that broke out in Disney World in Florida. Did any of you guys see that? It was massive brawl and apparently what happened to cause this brawl to start is somebody cut line. Can you believe that? Somebody cut in line, and because somebody cut in line, two families just started duking it out, and this thing went on for, for minutes and minutes, like for more than 10 minutes. And at the end of this brawl, uh, multiple people are injured, people are taken to the hospital, at least three people are arrested, and all that over <laughs> somebody cutting in line. And I'm sitting there thinking, what a waste, man, this is just stupid. And then I thought to myself, why am I so surprised? You know, Disneyland is a place that celebrates Satan. They glory in the things that God calls an abomination. And when you are in that place, this is the type of behavior that I would expect from the people that do that type of thing. Just like in America, you know, we're starting to glory in the things that God doesn't like, the things that God hates. And we see the fruit of that. We see the behavior. 
that's coming out of it. We see people walking into the stores and looting and stealing things and assaulting people and things like that. Well, that's the end product of where we're at. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think it's wrong for Christians to visit Disneyland or to enjoy Disneyland. I do think, though, when we go there, we need to be prepared. We need to be careful. We need to be prayed up. We need to be conscious that we're walking into the enemy's territory. But this lawless behavior shouldn't take us by surprise. We shouldn't be shocked at the things that we're seeing because we see the worship of idols everywhere. And, and we read our Bibles and we see that these are the type of things that accompany the worship of idols. Unfortunately, we're living in a time when our nation and our world is under the judgment of God. And Romans 1 describes how this judgment plays out in our societies. It first starts in individuals. Individuals start worshiping idols instead of the living God, and God turns them over to sin. He gives them over to what they want, to sin. And then they have to deal with the consequences of that sin. And, 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 and this wrath of God is designed to get people to realize they need help and to repent, to cry out to God. But so often, that doesn't happen. People harden their hearts, and they shake their fist at God, and they get mad at God. And so God gives them over to more sin and the consequences thereof. And this plays out until you reach the end of Romans chapter 1, where people just have a reprobate mind. They have a mind that doesn't function right. They have a mind that uh, works backwardsly. A, a, a mind that uh, lives out Isaiah 5.20, that calls good evil and, and evil good, and substitutes light for darkness and bitter for sweet. This mind that just doesn't function the way that God has designed it to do. So God gives individuals over. But then societies are, are made up of individuals. And when enough of these individuals are, are given over to sin, then the whole society becomes given over to sin. And it starts to implode from within. And this is where we're at as a nation. We are a nation that's under the judgment of God. We are a nation that celebrates insanity. We're a nation that doesn't even know the difference between a man and a woman. It's a sad time to be alive. But what are we to do? As Christians, how do we respond to this? Do we just get all worked up and angry because culture around us is just going to hell in a handbasket? Is that the attitude God wants us to have? I don't think so. We need to have the right perspective. We need to see things from God's perspective. You know, I'm, I'm sure we all want the rapture to happen. We want the Lord to come home. We want or come back and we want to be with Him. But the Bible says that certain things need to take place before that can happen. The Bible describes the conditions of the world when that happens. And a lot of the things that we're seeing that we're complaining about are the very things that the Bible's describing is going to look like when the rapture happens. Things like a one world government in place. You know, things like a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, lawlessness. Uh, the rise of lawlessness. America will no longer be in power. You know, we don't see America as a player in the end times. And so as we see these things happening, like I said, do we get all bummed out? Or do we look up and realize that our redemption is drawing near? Do we get excited because we're closer and closer to the return 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we should be doubling down on following Christ, giving ourselves more and more over to the things of the kingdom of God. This is the right perspective. This is the perspective that the Lord wants us to have. The first thing we need to do is we need to prioritize communion with Christ and worship Him. Now, I'm going to admit, during difficult times, like in evil days, this might not come naturally for us, but it's available for us to do. In Psalm 23, 5, David writes this. He writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Did you catch that? David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This you prepare a table for me. This is speaking of fellowship. In the ancient world, eating a meal with somebody, sharing a meal, it was a sign of intimate fellowship. It was saying, hey, that same food that's going into you is going into me. And it, it meant communion. It meant oneness. And David is saying, hey, we have this with God. And it's in the presence of our enemies. There's going to be evil. There's going to be enemies. There's going to be war happening all around us. But we still have that intimate fellowship, that communion with God, right in the midst of it. That's the way that God has designed it. He hasn't designed it in this world where he's going to take away all the problems, take away all the evil, all the enemies, and, and, and we're just going to have him and each other. That's heaven. That's awaited. In this world, it's going to be in the midst of our enemies. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have evil around us. But we still have that communion. We still have that fellowship with the Lord. Or how about the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is talking about the time during the Great Tribulation. Jesus said this is a time like the world will never see before. It's going to be unparalleled supper, unparalleled evil, unparalleled chaos happening in the world around us. But if you read the book of Revelation, you'll realize that there's three sets of judgments that are going to come during this seven-year period. There's the seal judgments, the trumpet, the bull jump, or the trumpet judgments, and then the bull judgments. And before each set of these judgments, you know what we see? We see... The, the redeemed in heaven worshiping the Lord, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's worship happening. And so there's a choice. Do we want to fix our minds on, on heaven, where worship is happening, where God is being exalted as holy, holy, holy? Or do we want to be here on the earth, where there's hell and chaos and, and judgment happening, and people are shaking their fists at God and getting angry at God, not repenting from their sins? It's a matter of perspective. So our circumstances and the things going on in the world don't dictate our ability to worship God. Our perspective does. How about in the book of Acts? The church is getting started and it's faced with all kinds of difficulties. There's major persecution. Christians are being arrested. Christians are being tortured to death and being killed because of their confession of Christ. There's financial difficulties. Jewish believers are getting kicked out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was the center of life for the Jewish person. That's where commerce happened. That's where business happened. That's where, that's where everything happened. If you got kicked out of that, it was almost impossible to live. And so these Jews are believing in Jesus, and they're losing their place in society. And now it's really hard for them to earn a living and, and to eat and to survive and things like that. Not only that, but Christians are having to flee as refugees. They're leaving their family, their friends, their possessions because of persecution. 
See, all these things and more made life extremely difficult for the early church. But they didn't focus on these things. No, they focused on the fact that the Lord was adding to their number daily. They focused on what God is doing. That's what perspective does. Remember the pandemic, 2020? Fun times, right? Remember we were meeting out here? We have a parrots and train go by and all that. Well, there was a lot to complain about in 2020. There really was. But for 2020, it, it, for me, it made the reality of church all the greater. It made it sweeter. It made it me realize that this world doesn't really have anything to offer me. I realized how much I love and I need you guys. I mean, realized the sweetness we have in our fellowship with Christ and with each other. So in these dark days coming up, this proper perspective allows us to have communion with Christ and it allows us to worship Him. You know, the stuff happening in the world, that doesn't dictate that. The stuff in this book dictates our ability to worship God. We dictate it ourselves. But it comes from the right perspective. A proper perspective is also going to show us that God is saving folks and sanctifying folks through this evil time. You know, we tend to think that the church is on the decline today. We, we tend to think that there's less and less believers, that more and more people are walking away from the faith, and there's more and more of these people that they call nuns that don't associate with any type of religious background at all. And in America, that might be true, but on a world scale, that's not. In actuality, Christianity is growing faster now than it ever has. There's people, especially in places like China and Africa, places where there's persecution. Christianity is just expanding exponentially. People are getting saved left and right. Like I said, this is the fastest the church has ever been growing. In the book of Revelation, again, we read about this great tribulation. It's a time of unparalleled evil, unparalleled suffering, but it's also a time of unparalleled revival. There's the witness of the 144,000. There's the, the, the two witnesses that are flying around the world, inflicting judgments and preaching. There's an angel flying around the world preaching the everlasting gospel. And through that, many, 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 many people are going to get saved. People are getting saved left and right. Now, most of them are going to end up becoming martyrs for their faith, but they're getting saved. And God is saving people today, too. We can get so caught up looking at the evil around us, we can forget that God is, wants to save people from this evil, and, and he's doing so. Just a couple days ago, I was walking, and I was crossing the street, and I got to this intersection, and a car's pulling up. There's a stop sign here, and the car's pulling up to the stop sign. It wasn't there yet, so I started crossing the street. I thought the guy saw me. I'm pretty sure he looked at me. And then he looked the other way, and he barely stopped at the stop sign. And then he just floored it and turned right and basically ran me over. And I'm serious. He hit me. I went up over the car and slid across the hood on my butt and landed on my feet on the other side of it. It was like an action figure scene in a, in a movie. It really was. It was like a stunt double or something. <laughs> and then the guy looked at me, and he just drove off. He just sped off. And I'm like, what the heck, dude? Well, this homeless guy saw it. He runs over to me, and he was like, that was amazing. That was insane. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. And so I start talking to this guy, and he asked me, he said, hey, do you know where any sober living homes are? Do you, do you know where any churches are? I, I really need some help. 
And so I start talking to the guy. And within a few minutes, I'm, I'm leading him to, to Christ. I'm saying the sinner's prayer with this guy. It's just a, a, an example of, of how God is saving people through the evil in this world today. He's redeeming it. And, and he wants to draw people out of it. Remember in Caesarea Philippi, Peter, or Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Then he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. Then he says this in verse 18, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. You hear that? Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The Democratic Party will not stand against it. Vladimir Putin will not stand against it. Communist China will not stand against it. God is building his church, and Christ is going to be victorious. And he's calling us to be a part of that. There's no evil that could come against it that could stop Christ from doing what he wants to do. And he wants to build his church through you and I. But for us to be a part of it, we need to have the right perspective. He's going to do it whether we choose to be a part of it or not. The question is, is do we want to be a part of what he's doing? Do we want to be rewarded for what he's doing? Do we want to have communion with him through what he's doing? And so forth. Not only does God want to save people, but he also wants to use these things to sanctify us as well. You know, the law of entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics, says things are going from order to chaos as time goes on. That they're dissolving, that they're, they're getting worse the more that time goes on. This is true. Look at our bodies. The older we get, the more they're falling apart or deteriorating. When we look at the world, we see it's becoming more and more chaotic every day. And it's not going to get better anytime soon. It's going to continue to get worse. But we have a few promises in the Bible. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God works all things together for good, for those that love God who are according, called according to his purpose. Kind of sounds like the opposite of the, the second law of thermodynamics. Or how about this one? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-18. through 18. A great section of scripture. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart. But though, through, though our outer man is decaying, second law of thermodynamics, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Did you catch what Paul's saying? He's saying if we have a proper perspective, these afflictions and tough times will be for our benefit. God will use them to renew our inner man and will transform us from one degree of glory to the next. You know, I really love the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. They're, they're, they're some of my heroes out of all the Bible, some of my favorite characters. We don't even know their names. We just know that there's 12,000 from each tribe, of the 12 tribes of Israel. But I, 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 one of the reasons I really love them is we see God does something amazing in their life in such a short period of time. You see, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is what's called the rapture. The whole church is going to be caught up. We're going to meet Christ in the air. 
We're going to meet those who are dead in Christ in the air. We're going to receive glorified bodies. But at this time, there isn't going to be a single Christian left on the planet. There's not going to be one person that has the Spirit of God inside of them. Yet God wants to do a work. He wants to save a remnant of Jews and, and preserve them through the tribulation and into the millennial kingdom to repopulate the earth. So how is he going to do that? He's going to take 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe, and he's going to put his spirit in them, and he's going to seal them, and he's going to preserve them through the tribulation period. And what I really love about these people is, if you think about it, they're saved, and in less than seven years, they become the greatest missionary force that this world has ever seen. They're doing things for the kingdom of God that we can't even fathom. It's like 144,000 Davids or 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And they're turning this world upside down for the kingdom of God and for Christ. Well, they've only been Christians for seven years. I think most of us have been Christians for longer than seven years, right? Well, how did they grow so much in the Word? How did they become so effective in preaching the gospel? How did they become so sanctified? How did they become so holy in such a short amount of time? Well, I think a large part of that has to do with the circumstances that they're living in, the tough times that they're living in, the, the evil that they're walking through each and every day. God's using that to sharpen them, to grow them. They have the right perspective. They're focusing on the things of the Lord, not the things of the world, and they're growing by leaps and bounds in Christ. And God is using them in ways that we haven't seen Him use people before. You see, it's going to get darker. I guarantee you that. The Bible says it is. It's going to continue to get darker and darker and darker. But at the same time, it's going to get lighter and lighter and lighter. Because as it gets darker, the, the, the brilliance of Christ shining through his bride is going to shine that much brighter. He's going to grow us and sanctify us so he can use us more during that dark time. But we have a choice to make. Are we going to focus on the negative? Are we going to focus on the horrors happening around us? Or are we going to fix our thoughts on the things of God? Are we going to focus on the things that God is doing? Are we going to decide, I don't care what's happening around me. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to seek communion with God. But how do we do this? How do we focus our thoughts on the things of the world? The Word. The things above. i got three ways for us to do this. It's through his word, it's through his word, and it's through his word. It's his word that's going to enable us to do this, to fix our minds on the things of God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, some familiar passages. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here it is. Do not become conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You hear that? By the renewing of our mind. How's our mind renewed? It's by the Word of God. See, the more that we're in God's Word, the more we're going to have His perspective, the more we're going to think the way He does, the more we're going to start living it out. The next thing you know, we're just naturally living the will of God for our life. That's what Paul says. You know, our, mind, our bodies are they are pretty complex when you really look at 
how our bodies are made and all that. But they're also pretty simple. Right? I say that they're simple because there's some simple truths to us. Like what goes into us is typically what's going to come out of us. I'm sure if you've ever had kids or been around little kids and you've changed a diaper, you realize what goes into them is exactly what comes out of them. Right? But it's the same thing for us. You see, if we're saturating ourselves with Fox News or CNN, for that matter, that's what's going to come out of us. We're going to be talking politics. We're going to be talking world events. We're going to be talking bummer all the time. <laughs> right? But if we're saturated with God's Word, that's what's going to come out of us. We're going to be talking about God's Word. We're going to be sharing God's Word. We're going to be encouraging with each other with God's Word. We're going to be telling God's Word to unbelievers. We're going to be seeing unbelievers come to life in Christ. I look back at my walk with Christ and the times that I was the most effective at evangelism, the time I was sharing my faith the most, the time I was seeing the most people come to the Lord were the times that I was reading the Bible the most. Because it's this simple. If that's what's going in, that's what's going to come out of you. That's what you're going to be talking about. And God's going to take his word and use his spirit and he's going to use it to bring people to life. But if we're going to have a biblical worldview, if we're going to keep our thoughts on the things above, we need to be saturated in God's Word. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight's in God's Word. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree. Firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever it does, it prospers. But the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Did you hear that? If we're in God's word, if we're meditating in it day and night, if we're delighting in it, we're going to be like a tree planted by water. And, and nothing's going to be able to kill us. Nothing's going to be able to destroy us. Our, 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 our leaves won't wither because we're going to have root. That's going to be, we're going to be healthy no matter what. And we're going to produce fruit no matter what. No matter how windy it gets, no matter what kind of storm comes through, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how long it goes without rain, we're going to be healthy. And we're going to produce fruit. Corrie Ten Boom, I'm sure most of you know who she is, right? She hugged the, the Jews during the Holocaust, and, and she went to a concentration camp herself, and she finally got out, and she went all over the world preaching Christ, and did do some amazing things. But she used to say this, she used to say, if you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look within, you're going to be depressed. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going to find rest. And that's what we really need to do. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our mind in the Word of God. That's how we're going to do it. We need to have the right perspective. So now we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate communion. What's your call, Sergio? You already did it? But the Lord's table, when you think about it, is really something that helps us to have the right perspective. Helps us to do what we've been talking about. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, 
right before this, Paul is talking about the, the, the church at Corinth and how they're so divided and they're, they're not celebrating the Lord's table right. Some people are drunk, you know, they messed up the blood feast and all of that. But he says this in verses 23 through 26. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Here it is. This is what I want you to hear. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, this cute communion is something that we need spiritually. It, 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 it reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It reminds us that Jesus is coming back for us. It strengthens us spiritually so that we can walk through these dark and evil days. And, and I encourage you guys to do it often. Not just the once a month we do it at church. I encourage you to do it with your family. Do it with your friends. Do it at home. Do it wherever. Jesus said, wherever, too, whenever you come together, and do this in remembrance of me. The fact that he said, do this in remembrance of me, shows us that he wants us to continue doing it. Right? Because there on that last night, he was standing in front of them. Right? They wouldn't be doing it in remembrance of him. They were doing it right in front of him. Kind of implies that he wanted them to keep on doing it. He didn't say just do this when you're at church. Right? It's something he wants us to do. And when we do it, I guarantee it's going to strengthen our faith. It's going to help us to keep our mind on the things above. Like I said, communion reminds us of the gospel. It helps us stay gospel focused. It helps us have the proper perspective. So what I want us to do here is just to take a couple minutes and reflect on the Lord. Reflect on his sacrifice. Reflect on what he's done for you. Reflect on the fact that we're going to spend eternity with him. Reflect on what he's been saving you from lately. Maybe pray about what you want him to save you from in the future or in the coming days. Pray that he'd give us a holy perspective going forward. So I want us to individually just take a couple of minutes and spend a few minutes with the Lord, pray, and, and take the elements as you will. Um, let me pray for us, and then you could spend a few minutes doing that. You guys could uh, socialize, or we clean up, or, or whatever. But let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that your word reveals your son. I thank you for everything that your son did. I thank you that he came in the flesh. I thank you that he fulfilled the law. I thank you that he died the penalty that I owe. I thank you that he rose again, ascended to heaven where he sits at your right hand and ever lives to make intercession for me. Lord, I, I, I'm just I'm done thinking about all that you've done. I thank you that you're going to return and I'm going to be with you forever. Lord, these are amazing promises. But you've called us right now to walk by faith in a world that doesn't recognize you, doesn't honor you, doesn't live according to your word, doesn't recognize your ways. And that could be hard at times. It could be distracting. This world could be alluring. Lord, help us to keep our mind behind you. Help us to keep our thoughts on the things above. 
as we do, we trust that you'll help us to live it out. We love you. We commit these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just take a couple of minutes, reflect on those things, and you know, take the bread and the wine and the juice. Take your